Chapter Seventeen of the Sacred Herb by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Old Old Story. On hearing Mortabon's surprised cry, everyone stood still and silent out of sheer amazement. The unexpected had happened with a vengeance, and Dr. Horace, quite delighted with the sensation that he had produced, rubbed his hairy hands with a grim chuckle. "'Quite dramatic, isn't it?' said Horace. Mortabon drew a long breath and clutched the document as though he feared that it would vanish into thin air like Macbeth's witches. "'I am surprised,' he confessed, staring at the doctor. "'How did you become possessed of this, sir?' and in asking that very pertinent question he anticipated the speech of the others horace did not answer immediately without requesting permission he produced his immense german pipe already stuffed as full as it would hold with strong tobacco and lighted it calmly prelice looked annoyed at this breach of good manners and would have stepped forward to remind horace that he was not in his native wilds but that Mona, guessing his intention, made a little gesture to stop him. Seeing what Dr. Horace had done, she was prepared to forgive him everything. Besides, the great traveler was such an eccentric person that no one could be angry when he behaved like a bear. It seemed natural that he should. Meanwhile, the lawyer, becoming impatient, repeated his query how did i become possessed of it said horace lying back luxuriously and puffing out white clouds of smoke well i might say that i murdered lanwin mightn't i yes you might remarked mona smiling but you did not no sighed horace with an odd expression on his large face it would be an anticlimax oh hang your dramatic instincts said prelice crossly why can't you answer the question i am about to if you will hold your tongue and sit down you always did have too much chin music prelice well he looked round with a grin like a somewhat malicious monkey if you must know i got that will from agstone mona dropped back into the seat whence she had risen and her example was followed by the three men horace's calm announcement took their several breaths away and their individual legs could support them no longer it seems to me cried prelice much annoyed that you are presuming on our credulity no i am telling you the truth but did you know agstone demanded shepworth staring oh yes he was my brother what 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 quacked mortabon like an excited duck go slow old son of a gun said the doctor smoking calmly i told lord prelice yonder of my relationship and there is no need for me to explain the same to you beyond stating the fact that steve agstone was my brother he knew of my address in London and came to see me on the day after the murder. Why didn't you give him in charge? asked the lawyer. 
horace surveyed the red face turned towards him in an aggravatingly calm way for two reasons he grunted firstly agstone was my brother and dog doesn't eat dog secondly i had no reason to believe that he had anything to do with the death but the knife which he brought to mr shepworth's flat oh yes horace glanced at the two young men and chuckled but you see there was no mention of the knife when steve came to see me still i must admit that he feared lest he should be accused of the crime oh cried mona sitting bolt upright then he did not accuse me again not to me answered the doctor promptly in fact steve seemed to be rather friendly inclined towards you no 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 cried mona earnestly he never liked me he was jealous because my uncle loved me well horace looked at his pipe rather than at the speaker i should not say that if i were you in my opinion steve was not so very devoted to lanwin as was made out but i thought never mind what you thought said horace rudely and rose to walk up and down the room i am here to tell you facts when i have explained as much as is possible for me to explain i'm going won't you stop here for the night asked mona surprised no retorted horace abruptly i won't now listen as my time is valuable and i can't remain here chattering nonsense and and behaving rudely finished prelis with sarcasm oh you're there my son with your monkey brand manners they're there he went on teasingly as prelis jumped up flushing don't get out your little gun there's a lady present i wish you would remember that oh so i do there's a lady present who wishes to hear how i became possessed of a document which gives her ten thousand a year very good don't interrupt or horace broke off with a gruff laugh what bad manners you civilized people have prelice looked despairingly at shepworth it seemed impossible to bring this uncouth person to the point but mona was laughing at the bear-like antics of the traveller although mr martibon's indignant face showed how his feelings were outraged this cried the lawyer is quite intolerable cock-a-doodle-doo crowed horace derisively then unexpectedly whirled a chair round between his stumpy legs and sat down leaning his arms over the back to address his audience as if it were from an imaginary pulpit listen said horace gravely and the smiles gave place to watchfulness on every face my brother came to see me on the day after the murder i had already read of lanwin's death in the papers and asked steve how his master came by his end steve swore that he did not know but stated that he quite expected to be accused he then lugged that blue envelope which mr mordibon is holding out of his pocket and passed it along to me before i could open the envelope he was out of the house and i never heard of him again until prelice yonder brought me the report of his death in shepworth's flat when alone i opened the envelope and found the will why didn't you bring it forward at once fumed the lawyer 
because i thought that its production might implicate steve and i didn't wish to have steve hanged for a crime which he did not commit are you sure that he did not asked shepworth meaningly one is sure of nothing in this old ranshackle world said horace philosophically but what i want you all to understand is that steve told me nothing why he should bring me the will i can't say and he did not wait to tell me how he became possessed of it i should have brought it forward at the trial but that the papers hinted at the burning of this will being a point in miss chent's favor i therefore waited until miss chent was acquitted and resolved only to use the will when jadby whom i don't like tried to secure this property miss chent sent me the wire to-night saying that jadby was making himself disagreeable so i came down with the will you have it mr landshark he added looking at martabon so that is a present for you miss chent he pulled out a small white paper packet from his breast pocket and flung it dexterously across the room you will find that useful should captain jadby prove to be troublesome as he will now that he has lost the money that is all my mission here he jumped away from his chair unexpectedly and trotted to the door where he turned to survey the company good night stop stop cried mona running to the door through which he had so promptly vanished and the others following echoed her urgent cry but by the time they reached the hall the door was wide open and horace had disappeared as completely as though the earth had swallowed him up beyond was the darkness which veiled him is he mad asked mona turning an amazed face to the three men mad or not he has done you a service said martaban looking down at the will which he still held this is undoubtedly your uncle's last testament which was not burnt it is signed by sir oliver in the presence of stephen agstone and emma blexley what a facer this will be for our south sea friend ended the lawyer actually becoming slangy in his delight ought we follow horace shepworth asked no replied prelis who was frowning at horace's manners even if we caught up with him he would say nothing we must wait to see if he will again intervene in the case he seems to have washed his hands of it said ned sauntering back to the drawing-room he did so before yet when miss chent wired he came down i wonder prelis paused and bit his fingers you wonder what if horace killed sir oliver and agstone shepworth stared that's a rotten bad shot dory why should he oh i can assign no reason but my dear old chap it is absurd i know you are thinking of the will being brought here by horace but why should not his story be a true one since agstone is his brother well prelis threw out his hands with a despairing gesture i can't understand the whole business it passes my powers of comprehension before ned could reply mona summoned both the young men 
along with martaban she had been opening the parcel which horace had thrown across the room and was now exclaiming at its contents ned lord prelas here is the sacred herb they hurried over to have a look and there sure enough was the yellowish stalk of the herb from easter island bearing seven or more purple leaves in addition there was a written paper which mona read aloud use the enclosed when jadby comes to close quarters and makes himself unpleasant she read in a bewildered manner also it will be as well for you to use your power over lord prelice to prevent his searching further in this case if he meddles with what does not concern him it means sorrow and perhaps a public scandal there was a dead silence now what does that mean asked mona no one knew no one dared to suggest an explanation prelice was the first to speak i advise you miss chent to obey horace and keep this herb constantly in your pocket he is not the man to give a warning without some grave reason he has saved you once from jadby and this herb as he plainly says intimates that it will save you again but why should oh prelice shrugged his shoulders i can explain nothing and with your leave i shall go back to hide ned i remain here for the night replied the barrister all right i shall see you in the morning and prelice sauntered to the door after bowing to miss chent he did not dare to take her hand for fear he should never let go of it again but she hurried after him and spoke anxiously in the hall as he put on his light summer overcoat this hasty departure annoyed her as she showed plainly why will you not remain and talk over this strange matter she asked no no answered the young man averting his eyes and quickly opening the door himself since no footman was at hand but if you will permit me i shall come here at five in the morning at five why at five then is the breaking of a new day whispered prelice in a somewhat tremulous voice and in the gardens in the light of the dawn you can then say you can then say he repeated the phrase raised his eyes to meet hers and left with a hurried good-night mona stood where she was amazed and confused what did he mean she asked herself and immediately her heart explained a light broke over her lovely face and she whispered to herself at five in the gardens in the light of the dawn meanwhile prelice rushed downward to hide through the darkness of the night there was no moon but the purple sky scintillated gloriously with stars a warm wind laden with the fragrance of wild flowers was blowing with strange murmurings over the bare spaces of the downs and the young man's spirits thrilled to the beauty and peace of the night he should have thought of the case of horace's queer warning repeated for the third time and of the behavior of captain jadby now converted from a secret foe into an open enemy but he considered nothing of these pressing matters which had to do with the everyday world rather did he think of mona 
and her starry beauty rather did he recall with joy the great truth which he could scarcely realize that he was free to woo her without being disloyal to his bosom friend mona was not engaged to ned her heart was free to receive a loving occupant and prelust striding through the leafy lanes swore inly that he would be that occupant lady sophia would be hostile he knew that from the way in which she had taken leave of the girl but what did that matter so long as mona received him at dawn in the enchanted gardens of the secluded grange all that night prelice slept soundly as a lover the tumult of his heart should have kept him wide awake but the transcendental heights to which his thoughts raised him so drew him away from earthly matters that he lost consciousness of physical surroundings lying on his bed the sound of the breaking waves on the rugged beach below the hotel lulled him to sleep and then his spirit soared to a higher world spiritual and pure in which there was no pain or sorrow or weary misunderstandings when he awoke with the rosy lights of sunrise streaming through the curtainless window his spirit told him little of what it had seen in the superphysical world but prelice was conscious that somewhere in the vast spaces of the unknown he had met with mona and had talked with her for endless periods of time true according to the clock he had slept but a few hours but living in eternity as a true lover should he took no count of earthly time man's measure of the eternal he had lived for thousands of years during the dark hours kneeling at the feet of mona crowned queen of dreams of kisses and now he was to see her again in the flesh gracious and lovely and as he knew she would be truly kind the spirit of the man having bathed in the fountain of sleep rose therefrom pure and undefiled it seemed meet to prelus although he was not usually so imaginative that he should wear a suit of pure white as symbolic of the coming interview and as he passed uphill clothed in spotless flannels with the purity of the dawn stealing into his soul he felt as though he had been reborn into a fairer and more perfect world passing swiftly over the grassy uplands his eager feet bore him down into the hollow through the ancient woods and on to the bird-haunted lawn and there in the cold searching chaste light of the dawn hours he beheld his lady standing amidst the dewy grass waiting for his coming and she also was clothed in white as prelice came across the lawns his eyes far off met those of mona which shone like twin stars in the rosy flushing of her face according to the precedent he should have raised his hat he should have greeted her with a handshake he should have explained his desire for this unconventional meeting but he did none of these things neither did she desire that he should do them without a word without a pause he came to her swiftly and clasped her in his arms 
their lips met in one long kiss and the awakened birds sang joyfully in the rustling trees so might adam have greeted eve in paradise when god presented him with the helpmate who was to be the mother of all mankind and you knew you knew all the time murmured mona on his breast no i did not know more shame to me i really thought that you were engaged to ned i don't mean that but surely you knew you guessed that i loved you and you only no how could i when i showed my love in a hundred ways she said with a playful laugh oh lord prelis how very little you know of women i know more than is good for me he murmured smiling what that is lord prelis does he protested hedging but george is an innocent boy who knows nothing who is george i am and he kissed her again victoriously mona laughed happily i am afraid that george is not so innocent as he makes himself out to be teach him to be good my darling a hard task you set me george she lingered lovingly over the name and oh what you must think of me who takes so much for granted i think that you are an angel he cried fervently dear i loved you from the moment i saw you in that cruel court and i loved you she whispered i thought that it was merely friendship until we met again and then then i knew she gave him a delighted little crow of laughter which stirred the young man's heart to its depths impulsively he dropped on his knees and kissed her hands alternately scarcely able to speak i am not worthy of you he muttered dear she stooped and raised him to her breast let me find out your imperfections by myself i have many he said humbly and i love you for them i marry a man in the world of men and not an archangel in the same way as you take a faulty woman and not a spirit of light but we are spirits although clothed in coats of skin she ended gently and when the hour strikes we shall know each other do we not know each other now no that is mona chant knows george prelis the young man jumped gaily to his feet enough for the day is the delight therefore he cried i am quite content to know mona chant until she becomes mona prelis when will you marry me so like a man laughed the girl you wish to settle an important future in five minutes we must wait wait oh no no why should we because mona laid a gentle hand on his shoulder your wife must be like caesar's above suspicion you wish me then to go on looking into the case i do unless you accept the warning of dr horace prelice threw his panama over the hedge i accept no warning since you make me strong to dare it i shall go on with the case to-morrow why to-morrow oh mona let me enjoy paradise for twenty-four hours no you must act and at once lest we lose our paradise altogether 
i don't understand what dr horace means but in spite of his hints i wish you to look into matters in order to find out who murdered poor uncle oliver and in order to clear my name you must go up to london to-day and begin your search it is a sacrifice i ask of you no doubt but then love true love means sacrifice very good said prelice sedatively i shall go up by the midday train and interview madame marie eppengrave why her particularly she gave the herb to your uncle mrs blexley mistrusts her now he closed her mouth with a kiss not a word more the gates of paradise will close in a few hours until then yes yes until then let us play at being adam and eve in a garden and they did end of chapter seventeen